to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an anime discussion podcast. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese cartoons we love so much. I am your co-host, Noah Carden, and as always is Aaron J. Shelton. And we are here to discuss the, the final feature-length film from Satoshi Kon, Paprika. I'm immediately sad. <laughs> the the fact that you put it that way. Yes, it's uh, it is unfortunate but true. Um, uh, I'm not gonna lie. When I was watching this for the podcast, uh, the moment that like the opening like theme music kicked on, I got kind of misty because mm-hmm. like one uh, Hirosawa's music is so good and it's so impactful. But also, it's like, yep, this is it. This is the the last like major thing uh, Cohn worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit about his last like little short film and some of the stuff he he didn't get quite around to to completing next episode as we wrap up. But yeah, this is sort of the 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 last big thing that he he managed to work on. And what a what a work! What a what a film! To, to have it be your last. It's uh, a, a visual masterpiece, I would say. Definitely that. I uh, I mean, I think just because of my taste, mm-hmm. we might have some differing opinions about the film as far as what we liked and did not like, but there's no denying the, the feast of visuals in this film. Definitely. And it's actually kind of appropriate to a degree because um this is actually the the story of paprika because this was based off of a uh, a novel um from 1993 um the story of paprika is actually one that cohen had wanted to adapt for a long time basically like since right after uh perfect blue um and the fact that he, he gets to to do that um before his passing away in in 2010 is is amazing um yeah, it's a it's a nice full circle mm-hmm. for him creatively, um, and I think that's another one of the tragedies of of his death is that uh, I think in a lot of the interviews we've seen, he the idea of dream and reality and the and identity are he sort of building up to this movie. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of things, he said he was kind of he he wasn't done with it, but like he he kind of worked it out and was ready to move on to something else. And mm-hmm. again, we're denied sort of second stage cone, uh, sort of a, a what what he could have what like ideas and themes would he explore after this? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Let's jump into some some stats, some staff, mm-hmm. uh, and then we'll get into the the film proper. Sound good? Let's do it. So uh, going through the the, cat, the crew of the film, uh, directed by Satoshi Kon, uh, the script was co-written with him and Saishi Minakami, uh, who was one of the writers on Paranoia Agent. Uh, and as you stated before, it is based on the 1993 novel of the same name by Yasutaka, Yasutaka Susui. Yes, maybe. A uh, sort of avant-garde counterculture novelist um there are other more i think within the anime community their other work that got adopted was the girl who let through time which he wrote in the 60s and i think just recently got adapted in in the 2010s um the novel paprika 
was actually, uh, it was serialized first in Marie Claire <laughs> over oh. four issues. So Japanese Marie Claire had this weird techno thriller <laughs> about dreams. Good for that. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, so animation director and character designer is Masahi Ando from, uh, again, coming back from Tokyo Godfathers and Paranoia Agent and also some of the highest grossing movies <laughs> of all time again. Um, and again, we have the the MVP, the Cone's bottom boy, <laughs> <laughs> Nobutaka Ike uh, as the art director, uh, who has been the art director on all of his films. And the who's that coming in from the rafters? <laughs> Oh my God, it's music by Susumu Hirasawa again. <laughs> <laughs> He's jumping down to introduce vocal- vocaloids. Oh, uh, I just want to see Susumu Hirasawa just like staying now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just there hanging out. Yeah. His face painted. <laughs> Spinning a wheel. Yes. But yeah, those are the sort of the main contributors uh, on this film. Um, do you want to get into voices? Uh, I would love to. So, our our titular character Paprika, uh, who is is the alter ego of Doctor Atsuko Chiba, is played by the illustrious Megumi Hayashibara. Hayashibara is, if you have watched an anime from like the nineties to now. You have definitely heard her voice. Um, she was in Cowboy Bebop as Faye Valentine. Uh, she was Rei Ayanami in Neon Genesis Evangelion. She she is all over the place. Uh, I want to say she was also in Sailor Moon. I think that's what I saw. I got a, I mean, Jesse. Yes, Jesse. Team Rocket fame in Pokemon. Pokemon. Um, yes, she is, she is like the female voice actor in Japan. Uh, in English, uh, her voice is provided by Cindy Robinson, probably best known for her role as Amy Rose in the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. Um, she was also, uh, the new voice of Queen Beryl in Sailor Moon, the, the more recent Fizz dub. Um, and we got, uh, well, she's a returning Cone actress, uh. As she played Chiyoko, her uh, the seventy-year-old Chiyoko and Millennium Actress. Right. Yes. Um, and then for uh, our male lead, we have Doctor Kosaku Tukita, played by an equally legendary <laughs> Japanese voice actor, played by Toru Furuya, um, probably best known as. The original Gundam pilot himself, Amaro Ray, um, from the original Gundam series, uh, also plays Yamcha in Dragon Ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tuxedo Mask in Sailor Moon. The um, man has range. He was Mario Obviously. in the Super Mario Brothers: The Great Mission to Rescue Princess Peach, a, a Nintendo-provided animation that... Um, has actually recently been found and like restored by uh, uh, a group of fans online. They, <laughs> they, because ch- I think I mentioned them before during. Uh, they have changed their name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from from fanboy films to something a little more respectful. Yes, uh, but, cowards. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, Toru is an another absolute legend in. 
the uh, the Japanese voice acting world. Um, and uh, a little aside, it's very funny watching uh, the interview between uh, Kon and uh, Tsutsui and uh, Hayashibara and uh, Furuya because uh, Furuya is ver- was very like, I don't know if I can play this this character. This character is a very large, you know, he's a very large man. I don't know if my voice really fits him, but then, like, after kind of thinking about it and, like, seeing, like, what this character is about, he's like, no, yes, I can do it. And Cohn was incredibly excited to get him uh, on the, the, the production. Like, specifically requested him. But uh, he basically tried to go the most roundabout way of just being like, hey, can you just play Amaro again for this voice? <laughs> Uh, it was it was very funny watching that part of the interview. In English, his voice is provided by Yuri Lowenthal, another major name in the English-speaking dubbing world. Um, he played uh, Sasuke Uchiha in Naruto. Um, he is Spider-Man in a lot of Spider-Man media, especially the the recent Insomniac games. Um, I believe. Uh, the character of Yuri in uh, uh, was it Tales of Symphonia is both played by him and named after him. <laughs> nice, uh, good on him. Yeah. Our so continuing down the list of characters, we have uh, Doctor Sejiro Inui, played by Toru Emori. Doesn't have a lot of other uh, credits in the dubbing world, other than Tokyo Godfathers, where he played. Mm-hmm. Um, in English, he is dubbed by Michael Forrest, um, who I believe we've brought him up previously for Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water. But uh, Correct. Yeah. Captain Mayville. Captain Mayville. Um, again, he played characters like Alex Rosewater in The Big O. Um, he was several characters in the Gundam franchise. Uh, a lot of stuff. Yuba Yacht. Yarius in El Hazard. Uh, then for Dr. Torotaro Shima, played by Katsunosuke Hori, um, who is... Uh, he has a lot of uh, live-action dubbing roles. Um, I think he, he, he dubs the voice of Harrison Ford, Robert De Niro, and William Hurt a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are like his primary roles. Um, uh, he would also voice the character of Schwarzwald in The Big O. Um, he was in Tomorrow's Joe, which is a boxing series. Um, I want to say, if I'm looking at this credit correctly, he is Lawrence the Third in Lupin the Third, and that is Lawrence of Arabia the Third, because huh. that is just a thing they do a lot in... <laughs> <laughs> in Lupin the Third, where they will just have, hey, here's this famous character, famous like historical person. Here is their descendant, and they just give them a number. Uh, uh, in English, he is played by David Lodge, um, who played uh, Kenpachi Zoraki in Bleach, uh, Jiraiya in Naruto. For uh, Detective Toshimi Konakawa, he's played by Akio Otsuka, uh, who voices Snake. Pretty much every version of Snake uh, in the Metal Gear franchise. Um, he was also Jigen Daisuke and Lupin the uh, Third, Blackjack in Blackjack, uh, a whole lot of stuff. He's Blackbeard in One Piece, Bato, Ghost in the Shell, another 
absolutely legendary mm-hmm. voice actor. Uh, in English, he's played by Paul St. Peter, um, who is Punch in <laughs> Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Uh, he also was Zemnis in Kingdom Hearts. Uh, again, other characters in uh, the Gundam franchise, uh, Ghost in the Shell, Rave Master, all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then Dr. Morio Osunai is played by Koichi Yamadera, Spike Spiegel, mm-hmm. back again. Uh, he voices uh, Shun Akiyama in the Yakuza franchise. Togusa and Ghost in the Shell. Again, we've we've gone over Yamadera's <laughs> uh, bona fides before. Um, in English, he's played by Doug Erholtz, uh, who is Inspector Zenigata in Lupin the Third. Um, he was uh, Jean-Pierre Polnareff in uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, um, Kisuke Urahara in Bleach. Then uh, the last one, uh, last major character, um, is going to be... Uh, Kei Himuro, uh, who is a friend of Takeda, who is suspected to be a thief of the, the basically the plot MacGuffin, the DC mini in the, in the, the film. Um, he is played by Daisuke Sakaguchi, um, who uh, played, uh, he was Little Slugger in Paranoid Agent, and again, another returning Cone voice actor. Um, he would also show up in a, a lot of things. He has a lot of, a lot of work. Um, he was in Victory Gundam as Uso Ewen, uh, Gintama as Shinpachi Shimura, uh, Yuki Mishima in Persona 5. And then uh, in English, he's being dubbed by Brian Beacock, uh, who showed up a lot in like the Digimon franchise, uh, and Naruto's Yashimaru, Sakan and Ukan, and White Zetsu. For minor characters, uh-huh. we had Sutui. The, the author and Cone. Uh, they were the voices of the of the waiter and bartender in the radio club scenes, uh, respectively. Yes. Right. Uh, which you get to see some great uh, beside the scenes footage of that, <laughs> where Tsutsui is very calm and collected and does his lines and, and gets it all in like one shot. And then Cone, because the writer is there, is just incredibly nervous and. <laughs> And just basically has to use his lines from like the rehearsal uh-huh. in the the film. It's very cute. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's dig into the production uh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so this was estimated three hundred million yen uh, of production budget, which is roughly two point five, two point nine, something around there. Hold on, I'll just look at it. Yeah, two point six million, uh, which is. Wow, they wrung every little bit of money out of this one. Mm-hmm. That is so low. I know for like Japan, that's not necessarily low, but that is so low versus, you know, animation here in the States. Um, and as you said, Cone had talked about adapting the work uh, in 1998. Um, and it wasn't until he and Tsutsui met at a convention, at some, some not a convention, some some gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, some industry gathering in 2003, where since we actually approached Cone uh, to 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 adapt the work, uh, I guess there were some live action. There were plans for a live action version in Japan that never got off the ground because of the budget um, and what would be required for a story about dreams. Um, but yeah, well, 2003 is sort of the kickoff for everything. Uh, Cone spent a year and a half on the storyboards. <laughs> It's it's so 
wild watching that behind the scenes feature and watching him draw all of the storyboards and it looks just like unpainted cells. He just all- did the whole movie. I know that's what storyboards are, but no, he really just made the whole movie. Like, and we're, we're not talking, like typically when you see like behind the scenes stuff and you see storyboards, they're usually like, they, they vary from just like scratches and scribbles to like, you know, kind of just vague pictures. The things that Cohn drew in these storyboards is just like the actual, like the actual cell. Like it is super detailed. He draws like one of the things that they show him drawing is drawing the the scene where the the raindrops on the windshield converge mm-hmm. into like one sh- kind of like single stream, and he just draws that whole thing like shot for shot exactly the way that it ends up looking <laughs> as storyboards. It's crazy. It's just the amount of detail in there is so unnecessary. Um, in in preparing for the episode, I I was trying to see if the uh, the Satoshi Kone documentary was finally mm-hmm. available uh, for per- for like regular purchase in the states, uh, and I, and it seems like there's a lot of storyboard books of Kone coming out, or at least available, maybe readily available. Huh. And this would def if I have to look back. I saw Perfect Blue. I saw Tokyo Godfathers. This would definitely be one where it's like, here it is. Here's this stupid amount of work. Um, if any, if anyone deserves like storyboards as a book, it's definitely Cone because yeah. uh, just stupid detail. Yeah. Um, and in behind the scenes features, there was also this nice little uh, little uh, conversation he had. Uh, as far as the process of of preparing for the movie and making the storyboards and figuring things out, uh, he called it hoodlum emulation, <laughs> um, where he talked about in himself there was there was a hoodlum cone who you know wanted to try things that were more new or un unproven, and a mature cone who can kind of bring everything together and. Sort of the decision maker of yes, do this, no, don't do that. Um, and he described that as just him working with those two cones and himself. Um, and, and he talked about how in this movie he really wanted to follow his hoodlum instincts a little more uh, in this movie. And I think it shows. Yeah. <laughs> Inside you, there are two cones. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, yeah, it's like, all right, this is like a fun artist thing <laughs> to talk about. Yeah. I uh, just like that he gave it a name. Hoodlum emulation is just a good name in general. That's it's I, yes. It's a very good one. Um, and, you know, he kind of likens uh, Paprika and, and, you know, her real world ego, uh, Atsuko, to the a kind of similar situation. That's why he really connects with these characters. Yeah, definitely. Definitely the correct mindset. For, mm-hmm. for preparing for this movie. Uh, let's see. We have, so uh, art director Nobutaka Ike was, uh, th- I get he, he talked about how Cone tasked him with making sure that the dream and reality had a clear distinction and that was achieved through color. Uh, in the real world scenes, things are a little muted, where in uh, the dream sequences, and even when the dreams start spilling out to the real world, the colors are there's a there's a way more there's a larger color palette used. They pop more. 
Um, he even talked about like the the whites in the colors were never appear white within the dream. They always had like a tint to them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Michia Kato, who was the director of photography and also the CG director. Uh, there's a we get to learn about his process and his, uh, just the amount of CG that's in this film that's very subtle. I think he said about a third to a half of the film uses some like CG element, whether that's something obvious like uh, the confetti during the parade scenes Mm -hmm. uh, and that as like a particle effect or texture in someone's clothing. uh, Like in the opening scene with the clown, there's like a a glittery texture added on. Uh, When Paprika turns into a mermaid, there's that. Uh, The fish in the sea during that scene are, you know, they're, they're created within CG. I think he said about 650,000 pieces of confetti are in the scene when the parade invades the city. I don't know. I mean, I guess the can- there would be a count. If it's like procedural, there's like a counter for it. Yeah. That's yeah. too much. Um, and then he talked about he was responsible for the titles in the opening sequence because they are projected or they're a simulation, simulated sort of projection. Right, yeah. Onto the scene. Uh, it's pretty distinct in one shot where it's on a wall and Paprika is also projected on the wall as she's bouncing around and the security guard like walks in front of them. So the he blocks the projector and like you see that shadow and you see the, the image moving along the side mm-hmm. of the wall. And again, it's like what uh, it's. <laughs> this movie is such a great example of the in of of the what if of like how wonderfully I think he was adapting technology into his work and in some ways like it feels like in a way that was ahead of the curve the I think the fact that it was blended so seamlessly into this film and it's like what could have been and how would he utilize the technology further um when was summer war summer war was way later i want to say summer War was like somewhere 2012 2013 i mean and that's i mean that's like you're talking about a movie that specifically talks about a a digital world so it's not like they're trying to hide sort of that aspect of it Okay, so 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 Summer War was two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, also produced by Madhouse. So Madhouse again, <laughs> it's just uh, a, a goat when it comes to animation. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I, I I'm I'm glad they had the uh, Kato on here for that. So we could it's because a lot of his work. The the idea is that we're trying to not make it obvious that it's this that it's a non hand drawn element. Um, let's see. I, we have uh, uh, and then uh, a few things about the soundtrack. Uh, I mentioned earlier that it's one of the first film scores to use Vocaloid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the name of the Vocaloid was called Lola uh, for the vocals. Uh, again. Um, I'm going to sound like a grandpa here, but Vocaloid is basically, it's its not a person. It is a programmed voice that you type, right? You just type in and then you're like, say these words at these notes. Do you, yeah, do so it's a, it's a voice synthesizer. And I believe um, 
they get people to come in and like do the noises and everything, but from that they can then just make whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am, I believe that is how it works. Um, yeah, it's one of the first films uh, to use that, uh, and apparently it was the last of Hirasawa's albums that used his old Amiga computer for composition that we uh, go back and listen to our Hirasawa episode with Night Clerk Radio yes. uh, to get the deets on him, a true believer. <laughs> um, but all the minis were sequenced through his Amiga because uh, he he's a big weirdo. <laughs> a true believer in the Emperor's divine nobility. <laughs> We psychically need it, Noah. <laughs> Psychic, yes. For the good of the collective conscience. Mm-hmm. Uh, go listen to that Harrisau episode. It's wild. <laughs> He's yeah, very interesting man. Um, uh, so the film uh, was screened for competition. I don't believe it won. Uh, at the 63rd Venice Film Festival, uh, and then officially released in Japan on November 25th in 2006, with a North American release on May 24th in 2007. Uh, and then we had, uh, there've been talks about live action uh, remakes and the most recent one, like very recent in August of 2022, uh, it was reported that Kathy Yan, uh, who directed the Birds of Prey film, uh, the last film I saw in theaters before lockdown in 2000. Hey, me too. Uh, hey, <laughs> I, was that everyone's? It was you either watched that or Sonic yes, before lockdown. That's actually true. <laughs> Are you in the Birds of Prey camp? You're in the Sonic camp. Um, but she she is set to direct and executive produce a live action television adaptation for Amazon Studios. So we'll we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if we really need a live action adaptation. I mean, that's that can be said about pretty much anything that's ever been animated. It's that don't really don't really need the live action version. But I think especially for Paprika, um, I think they I think they got it in one. <laughs> There's I think if they went off the novel source might be interesting and stayed because um, mm-hmm. I think Cone did talk about how. The the novel was too big for a movie, so he kind of simplified everything or the yeah. plot at least because it is a pretty. It's, I mean, we can we can go get into the movie. I don't think we talked about what this dang movie is about. <laughs> no, we have not jumped into the actual the actual film just yet. So but yeah, let's get into it. Okay, uh, so uh, Paprika is basically about. Um, Dr. Asuko Chiba and her alternate personality, Paprika, using a newly created device called the DC Mini uh, to view people's dreams and to use that as a way of, like, treatment. Um, and the, the the real kind of big overview of the plot is um, the DC Mini then gets used uh, inappropriately in such a way that people's dreams start to coalesce with each other. They start to be able to... Uh, mash up with each other and people start having dreams in the daytime while they're awake and uh the the sort of repercussions of that as the dream world and realities begin to mesh and and how uh paprika along with uh the dc minis creator uh 
Dr. Kosaku Tokita and the other staff members um, at their Institute for Psychiatric Research, um, how they're able to try and like stop whatever is going on. Um, the the film opens with a clown car, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, where a tiny car pulls into like a spotlight. A clown gets out and says, "The greatest showtime!" And then the circus appears. Um, and we're treated to the uh, the dreams of Detective Toshimi Konakawa, who uh, is basically he's he's making appointments with Paprika, um, basically under under the table for some anxiety treatment, uh, and we are treated to this wonderful uh, series of scenes of uh, Konakawa trying to trace af- chase after. A, uh, a mysterious uh, assailant that um, pops through different dreams and every dream he has uh, it, it becomes like a different film so we go from like this sort of um, almost sort of thriller to like a spy film to like a romance film um, hopping all over and each one uh, Konakawa and Paprika take on different roles of like characters in those scenes um, until uh, Konakawa encounters a scene where uh, a man is is shot and is falling in slow motion while the man that apparently shot him is running away, like manages to escape through a door at the end of the hall. And as Konakawa time tries to go for like the chase, the room just kind of melts underneath him. Um, and uh, when, when Konakawa kind of comes out of it, he's plagued by this dream. Um, he talks to Paprika about like, what does this mean? You know, uh, who is this person? And he says that you know it's a uh, it's a, a a case that he has been working on. Um, uh, from that, uh, Konakawa kind of we kind of learn over the series of the film that the the Konakawa has a bit of a crush on Paprika, um, and you know he's constantly trying to get like more information about her. Uh, yeah. Let's. I, I mean, I think we can we can kind of pause. Mm-hmm. And sort of look at this, good lord, this opening scene. Of yes. The circus, which was not in the original novel, it was in, wasn't in the script, I think it was Cone, something that Cone just thought up when he was uh, doing the storyboards. Mm-hmm. But it's such, uh, one, I think it's having someone come out and say, it's the greatest showtime, is like this cool little meta commentary on the film. <laughs> like, you're calling mm-hmm. your shot right away. <laughs> Of nope, this film rules. We're telling you straight up. Um, it's an opening that, aside from being like f- extremely visually impressive, um, is telling you that the film is where you don't know what's real or not, um, and you kind of have to. You, for some things, you might have to like pay attention because it. You don't really know that it's. Something's weird until uh, I think in the circus scene you see the the mask on the back of a little girl. Its eyes move to like mm-hmm. to uh, to tag someone, um, and then just and then we also get sort of the one of the few kind of uh, uh, I guess rules of dreams the the jumping from one scene to another. Uh, we you get that established in this scene, and uh, and then like <laughs> they set. Uh, and then my other thing is that they they set when when uh, Konakawa and Paprika are in the hotel room. Again, is Paprika talking to him? Is that a dream? Uh, yeah. 
they're they're in this like very warm, dimly lit hotel room, and it's like to me, it's the movie like, oh, you're gonna be with Konakawa, you are also gonna fall in love with Paprika. Mm-hmm. We have specifically designed this scene and her for you to be like, nope, whatever she's doing, I'm I'm on board. She she is the, the like one of the prime examples of like the manic dream pixie <laughs> girl, but like literally a dream girl. It's yeah, they they mention it in the uh the chief, he mentions it like she's she's literally a dream girl, but you'll see yeah. her. In all the chaos of that first scene before the credits, I think there's a lot that they're establishing for you, the audience, subconsciously. Oh, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, it, it really, it, like it says, it really sets the tone for like what you are about to like experience. And then it really just skyrockets from there. Uh, because as, as the, the, that kind of whole scene kind of comes to an end and Paprika leaves uh, Konakawa and we get the opening credits with uh, Hirosawa's music and everything. We see just how like dream logicy everything can work in 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 this film. Where Paprika, as she leaves, she is like driving on like her little Vespa, and then as she like passes a truck that has like you know a logo of like a girl like riding like a rocket ship or something like that. That kind of like passes that logo changes into her and then she's on the rocket ship and she flies off and we see her jump from like billboard to billboard from like different advertising and, and all these different like scenes that eventually turn into her driving a car. And then as she passes like streetlights or like road signs, they, it's kind of shifts back to her real form of Dr. Asuko Chiba. So we get sort of like a one, two, three, bam. She's she's back to her, her real self, quote unquote, as she goes to the Institute for Psychiatric Research. <clears throat> it's it's also the sun uh it's also the sun rising mm-hmm. as, as we're going through this sequence of like Paprika, your time is coming to a close and it's time for you to be put to the side. Um and this is throughout the movie. There's this, you know, dual identity that we're exploring again. Where, but though Paprika and uh, Asuka are are separate, and they sort of have made this. It seems to be working for them mm-hmm. as this arrangement of like we're going to compartmentalize each other. Um, but again, you <laughs> again the the end of the movie is the way to victory is through reconciling with each half and becoming one again. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as as you know, uh, Atsuko comes to the the research facility. Um, she is greeted by the the large and, and rather obese uh, Doctor Kosaku Tokita, the creator of the DC Mini, who is stuck in the elevator. Um, this poor man, uh, you know, he is, he is rather large as a running thing throughout the entire film where they, they talk about how big and how much he likes to eat. Um, I, which, uh, I, I guess we'll get into this now. So like, I, as far as like, uh, his, the, the character, uh, Tokita, where, so my first watch on this, it... I remember, uh, I'm just going to spoil the, I mean, duh, we're going to go through the whole thing, uh-huh. but like 
there's the subplot of Atsuko being in love with Tokita. And that's sort of why, even though she has this harsh exterior, everything she does and says is very much for his own good. Where Tokita is, he's a, he's a comically large gentleman, um, uh, who, who, but extremely childlike, like literally at one point in the movie is like, I don't get all this adult stuff. Yeah. Um, and my first watch, I'm like, well, this sucks. <laughs> why, like, <laughs> why, why, why'd you, no, marry the, go marry the cop. I'm very much like in the cop shoes of like, oh man, I got dumped <laughs> kind of yeah. by my, by my therapist. Um, but this go around, I, th- I think it's subtle at Tokita and maybe it's in the performance or, uh, there, there, there's something that I picked up this round where it's like, no, I like, I see it and I believe it because it's the he is a genius. Yeah, he just has like these. He's fucking Totoro, man. <laughs> yeah, like he, like I, I, I guess I, I see where the attraction comes from of like these two people who are highly skilled at what they're doing. Uh, and like, of course there's going to be an attraction there, uh, between them. And like, yeah, I think it's Tokita being anytime you're talking about like the DC mini or like his event, like he lights up and he gets excited. And Mm -hmm. that's always cool to see. You always like, I think we always want to see people who are passionate about the things they like, no matter what that thing. Well, 99% of the time, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what that thing is. He is uh, he is a genius who is passionate and kind and innocent about the things that he likes and works on and makes. Like he is not doing any of this for like malicious or like you know selfish reasons. He just wants to do it because he likes to do it. And it, it's the eating was a lot. Could have yeah. toned that fucking down. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'll say it's that. Real. It's real goofy and not great. And like, but. yeah, like we, he's stuck in an elevator in that first scene. We could have, we get it. Yeah. He, he overindulges. We're good. Um, but just to like, but like, again, it's like really, obviously I think his character design is probably the most like at first striking, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's a really good character design. Yeah. For what they're trying to accomplish. Like his eye, he has like the widest eyes of like mm-hmm. anyone. Um, except maybe the chief, but that's just due to his weird Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. I, you know, it, it really, and you know, it, it really plays when uh, Takeda is turned into a like 10 clockwork robot and you see, you just get his face. You don't get his normal body. But he's very expressive, very emotional, and um, yeah, like it is a, a very good, uh, you know, it's a very good design in that it, it really says what this character is about at the first glance. He is large, but he is also incredibly kind and sweet looking, mm-hmm. and that is very much Tokita's character. He's an incredibly kind and sweet person. He, yeah, he assumes, uh, partly because of innocence, is, is assumes that... I can just hop into the dream of my friend who betrayed me, mm-hmm. and we can just talk it out, and we'll figure and we'll figure out what's going on. To uh, you know, unfortunately, to his yes. to his. Uh, I mean, it works out in the end, but yeah. 
So, so at the, the, the Research Institute, um, we learned that the DC minis, the devices that allow people to enter dreams, are still in prototype, um, which means there's no like real access restrictions. People can just jump in and out of other people's dreams, which um, becomes incredibly important in that we learn that people are uh, entering other people's dreams and forcing them into doing things like uh, the character we were introduced to, uh, Torotaro Shima, the sort of chief of staff of the Institute, who begins uh, babbling nonsense and then throws himself out of a window. Mm-hmm. Very, uh, very off-putting. Act. Very off-putting. is incredibly, like, it's just this word salad. You can kind of tell, like, you get this as people are in, like, their dream settings where they will start saying things and... At face value, you it's it's just absolute gibberish. But you can kind of intuit meaning every now and then, um, especially like when they first see somebody or like, like make like a first statement. But um, yeah, so Shima throws himself out of a, a, a window um, after describing like some things that are going on. Um, he turns out to be fine, or as fine as one can be for throwing themselves out of a window. But um, when they go to look at his dreams to see what's going on, we see this parade of objects, um, a lot of which he had described before throwing himself out of a window, um, that this, this, this parade keeps showing up uh, over and over again throughout the film. And it is like the most intensely animated thing uh, I can imagine. Like there's just so much detail so many objects just behaving, uh, you know, like they're they're moving like they are people down the street. Uh, it is an absolute wonder to watch. Um, um, every yeah, everything wiggles. Uh, I mean, except for like compositing, I think a large portion of it is like hand drawn. There's, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, just I think one of the more uh, memorable. Imagery, images in in the uh, in the movie. I, yeah. Hold on. There's some. There's a little. I have a little something on here. All right. So the parade, uh, according to Cohn. So the parade of inanimate uh, objects. Uh, it's not in the novel. You know, it was one of Cohn's ideas that he stated that he also him and Hirasawa kind of kind of came up with it together. Yes. Because um, I think Cohn was like having finding it difficult to portray some of the various dreams in the original novel. Um, Because, again, the novel is not as streamlined as this film. So he just... So he... The the parade was just like, all right, here's this image that we can keep going back to that grows and grows the same way that the dreams are growing into the real world. Um, And then I think... uh, I guess he said that he would... Thought it would be instantly recognizable as a nightmare... (laughs) Which is, which is true, um, but yeah. So so something that wasn't in the novel, but that could really show off the idea of dream. When you see that, it's like, nope, dream. We're, we're not yes. the real world. Yes, it's 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 an absolute cacophony of like things moving that shouldn't move and behaving in like this very dream way um and 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 i and i believe in the film they talk about how this isn't just a dream from one person it's sort of yes this um katamari ball of of collections of like patients dreams so like 
those with severe uh, mental illnesses coming together and then eventually invading the real world. It's, it's beautiful, gorgeous madness on the screen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. This is what happens when you don't restrict the DC mini and people's dreams just begin to like smush into each other. You get this this parade um, that seemingly just adds more and more to it as we kind of see later in the film. Um, so yeah, so we see this this parade, and in this parade we see like one of the key items is a a doll stage. The like this big kind of stage that has all of these different dolls kind of like piled up onto it. And like the largest, most prominent doll, like a gigantic doll has the face of a K Himuro, who is a assistant of Tokita's um, that they think that this pretty much confirms that, Hey, he stole a DC mini. And that's why this is, this is happening. He is sneaking into people's dreams and it's causing this whole big, like overflow into this parade that is affecting other people. Um, two other scientists fall victim to to the DC Mini. So the uh, chairman of the institute, uh, Dr. Seijiro Inui, uh, bans the use of the device, um, though uh, it really does not end up working uh, because uh, Atsuko has like her own, and there's obviously the ones that have been stolen and are out there in the wild. Um, so uh, they... so. Asuko, Tokita, and a third doctor, um, Morio Osanai, another researcher, um, go to uh, investigate to see if they can find Himuro, um, which uh, they go to his apartment, which I believe is, that's also a dream. It becomes a dream at some point because uh, uh, Asuko almost throws herself off of a, a ledge. Yeah, they... This this is a revelation that you don't need the you don't I mean, well, we see it with the ch- with the chief, but the whoever is doing this can enter someone's dream or can project a dream into their brain while they're waking at any point. Basically, anyone who's used this device is susceptible at this point. Yeah, um, and yeah, she gets she thinks she's in this amusement park. She is not. Almost jumps off a ledge. Um, that uh, they really explored that scene in the in some of the the behind the scenes uh, content as well of uh, what this bucket's apartment. Uh, Himoros. Himoro, yeah, because he uh, he's obsessed with dolls, and if you thought the otaku from Paranoia Agent had a bad room, boy oh boy, <laughs> yeah, are you in for a treat of gross shit? Just. Doll parts and dolls, just every kind, yeah, bunch of dolls, just head to toe, tip to tail. Uh, and yeah, the uh, the art director, EK, really was like, basically talking about how to get like this 3D effect and how to have so much infer, how, how to have it to where you have all this information in the background and in the scene without it being just noise or mush and sort of layering those elements of the room within the, like within the cells to, to make sure that you kind of get the whole picture. It feels very full and lived in and yeah, man, someone had to draw all those dolls in that room. They do find the, the actual um, amusement park. I'm just trying to remember what the order of events 
is. I, I believe it's, it's it all kind of like meshes together a little bit. I, I think now's the time to mention this. One of my criticisms of the film, and this is just my taste kind of thing, I think, is that it it does the dream thing a little too well, where it's hard to remember the the events and hard to remember kind of what's going on. And I think the movie is not it's at a good pace, mm-hmm. but it's it's dreamlike. And that's hard to in that in that I think you can dip in and out of sort of uh, uh, like comprehension as you're watching it. So like for an example, like uh Phantas- the first Phantasm movie <laughs> from uh-huh. the 70s. That I dude, I've seen that movie like four or five times. I don't know what happened in that movie. I know it <laughs> rules. I know there's cool stuff in it, but like I can kind of tell you the beginning, um, and I can kind of tell you the end, but the in-between, I'm like, uh, because it has that, because it also does this like very dreamlike. When are you awake? When are you sleeping? What how does one scene move from one to the other? And I mean, I said criticism, but it's like, it's just like, that's the thing the movie is doing. Yeah. And that's the thing that it's trying to do. So like, in that sense, it's executed very well. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's, it's, there's just so much kind of going on that we're, we're jumping from, from plot point to plot point to plot point that some of them are just like, like I'm, I'm thinking about Konakawa's like, plot throughout the film and that yes it's important but it's not that important to everything else he he it's sort of yeah Konakawa is sort of showing the idea that all the dreams are coming together he his he's used in part of that but it's it's so he's able to save the day at one point yes is his involvement um and I also think it's also another moment for Cone to talk about how cool films are. <laughs> Where, I mean, he literally makes Konakawa look like Akira Kurosawa in a scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he wears the hat and the shades that every time you see a photo of Kurosawa, that's what he looks yeah. like. Um, Drinking whiskey in those commercials. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, so for plot, I guess B plot uh, of Konakawa before he, the two really intermean, before the two plots really meet is his therapy session. Uh, All of his dreams are movie-like, are based on films or Mm -hmm. based on film genres, uh, though he he denies liking movies um, or really watching them. Um, Even when his dream girl Paprika is like, let's go watch a movie together. He's like, no, I hate it. Um, which is uh, part and parcel with his therapy. Um, again, dream logic coming in. He goes to, a, when he wants to see Paprika, he goes to a website called mm-hmm. The Radio Club, where we see, uh, which is just a bar, uh, and that is where he meets Paprika, and also where he gets his sort of resolution uh, for his anxiety. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he, it turns out that he loved film as a kid, uh, and he made an independent feature with his, with one of his high school friends um, uh, about a cop chasing someone that would then go back into flashbacks, which honestly sounds like that sounds like a rad ass movie. Yes. Yeah. 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 
just the whole thing's a chase, but we go into flashbacks to learn what happened. Um, and but he did not finish it, uh, and his friend uh, was also unable to finish it. Yeah, he passed away uh, when they were young, and sort of every, all of his anxiety and these recurring dreams come from you know him having guilt over that and not being able to forgive himself. And it's kind of really him sl- himself slash the bartender and waiter who who sort of guide him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe now is the time to, again, let's just add on to that David Lynch theory. Because <laughs> he got, he, here is a, a detective uh-huh. going into a dream state, into a bar slash very warm room. Mm-hmm. To to help himself analyze what's going on in his life, um, you have not backwards talking people, but you have people speaking gibberish uh, to to express ideas. Um, you, he's he had to have. There is no way he did not watch Twin Peaks. Yeah, no, I. So I am aware. I think I have brought this up before that Twin mm-hmm. Peaks is or at least was at the time, a very popular show in Japan. Um, I would not be surprised if, you know, he watched it at some point and, you know, obviously pulled some influence from it. But, like, Twink Peaks was so popular, they literally made coffee commercials for Georgia Coffee featuring the original cast members, like, on set. They are, I will link it to you. Uh, Please Put it in the show notes. Those they are would, great. Um, <laughs> Those would definitely be in the show notes. Uh, but it's literally like Kyle MacLachlan as Dale Cooper and like the other members of like the sheriff's department helping this <laughs> helping this Japanese man find his lost girlfriend who is lost in Twin Peaks. It's the I might have seen these before. It's like the it's the music as well, right? It's to the boom boom. Yes, yes. They have like the the music and everything like. They had to have shot it like in between episodes or something like that. It was it's so crazy, um, but yeah, it's just like a little weird little mini mini arc for like post season two uh, Twin <laughs> Peaks. It's very good, um, but yeah, Twin Peaks was a a major thing like not just here in in the states but also in Japan. Um, again, season season eleven Twin Peaks and, and David Lynch. <laughs> um, yeah, the David Lynch anime connection. <laughs> As another aside, I, I keep seeing this one Tumblr post pop up. It's like, we should just give David Lynch RPG Maker and see what he comes up with. <laughs> that, I feel like, yeah, once someone kind of showed him around, I think he would actually really love it. Yeah, yeah. So at this point in the movie, uh, they... They have found, because of the clues in the dreams, they've been able to find Himuro, mm-hmm. who is actually uh, un, in a coma state. Uh, he has worn the DC Mini so much that it has burrowed into his head, and they, they have him under observation. Um, they were also able to get the chief out of his dream mm-hmm. uh, through Paprika. Um, but then Tokida, again, through, through being innocent, thinking he'd just talk it out with his friend, not knowing that there's anything sort of bigger going on, goes in and uh, into the DC Mini and then gets stuck in the dream himself. Um, And then that is... uh, Oh, 
again, <laughs> the dream logic of everything. I'm like, and then what happens? I think this might, there's a big, because there's like a dream within a dream kind of thing. She, Paprika. Right. Goes in to try and wake up uh, Tokita. To try and wake up Tokita. Is unable to do so. Or uh, she, she almost gets assumed by the dream. Uh, wakes up. Then with Osane, goes to the, uh, again, the, the, the owner of everything, the chairman. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the most, like, Kojima names uh-huh. for a character. The chairman, you know, the guy in the wheelchair. Yes. Um, they go to his place, and then he starts a supervillain rant uh, about, you know, dream, you know dreams help people uh, surpass their limits. They, there, there are people who are, you know, exiled from this world, and dreams allow them to be free. He comes around a corner, and he's got octopus slash tree trunk legs, mm-hmm. and gotcha. She never woke up. She's still in the dream. Uh, Osane is also revealed to be a traitor, working with the chairman slash romantically involved. Maybe. Um, they have a scene where they're in bed together. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of it's a little ambiguous because like Osanai is is infatuated with uh, Chiba Atsuko Chiba, mm-hmm. um, so it's it's kind of hard to tell if they were um, if Inui and Osanai were like involved or if they just happened to be like in that single bed because they were both using like DC minis to dream. And that's just easier, um, but um, Os- yeah, Osana. It is revealed that Osana did uh, uh, give sexual favors to Himuro uh, in order to get the DC mini. There's something along those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is this does lead us into a bitch and chase. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, so Osana chases down uh, Paprika, and then. Uh, it is, it, I mean, it's a wild scene. They go through a whole lot of, like, changes. Like, she turns into a mermaid at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, Griffin gets her fairy state back again. Um, yeah. And this is, we, so throughout the movie, there are these images of blue butterflies. Um, sort of, I think the a swarm of them is what Paprika runs into. Uh-huh. that gets her, at the end of this sort of chase scene, that gets her captured. Um, I don't quite... It, they they were bad, essentially. They're sort of like a, a symbol of, of the chairman. Yes. And sort of his control over everything. Um, they show up, like they show up in the, uh, uh, in the greenhouse where they confront the chairman. They're kind of all around. Um, and we get... Although I don't know if it's part of the chairman or Osanai, because... Once, once the big chase is said and done, Osanai has Paprika in this sort of lo- in this museum, mm-hmm. essentially. And all the walls are all these pinned butterflies, uh, like you would see in an exhibit. And Paprika in her fairy form is also in this position where her wings are pinned. She's stuck on the floor. Um, you know, Osanai, this is where he confesses his love for her. Um, and then... Uh, and this sucks to watch. He he essentially rips the paprika sort of skin in half uh, off of her to yes. reveal Atsuko. Um, but the, uh, and he's gonna do some horrible stuff. 
But then the chairman comes in to like a two-headed situation to yeah. stop him. It's like, actually, your body belongs to me. Yeah, um, he takes over the the, the body of, of Osanai. Um, I believe just in time for, for Konokawa to arrive and and rescue uh, Asuko mm-hmm. um, by once again jumping through his series of like film-like dreams, but this time because Asuko is not there as Paprika to play like the other character. He is just kind of stumbling his way through. Mm-hmm. Um, but this does give him the chance to finally um, end back up in his recurring dream, the the one where the, the man is, is falling and the, the, the shooter is escaping, um, that uh, Konakawa now has the confidence to, to kind of stop and take the shot, um, which by shooting uh, Osanai in the dream, uh, it's that classic, you die in the dream, you die in real life. Yeah, yeah. Um, because of like how blended the dream world and reality are becoming, um, yeah, when when Osanai shoots, or when Konakawa shoots Osanai, uh, it causes Osanai in the real world to react and 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 die. Yeah, and, and we get like the the spy thriller. I don't know, Go Go Thirteen sort of yes ending. He says a cool line, kisses Atsuko. Which wakes her up, which uh-huh. I thought was like a nice little, that's a nice little twist of like the, the, you know, the kiss that wakes you up, but it's the dream kiss. Yes. Yeah. Um, she ends up slapping the chief <laughs> because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we're, we're in, we're in the end game now where yes. I think the, when the other, like the per the dream and the real life, dream and the real world are coming together. They're merging. The parade has invaded Tokyo. Um, everyone's joining the parade. <laughs> Businessmen are jumping from buildings. Uh, Schoolgirls are turning into cell phones. Yep. Uh, families um, are turning into golden statues. It's it's real bad. Yeah. It's it's just this absolute. Again, it's a nightmare. Of everybody's dreams flooding into the the real world and and people transforming into all these things, um, we see uh, Tokita as a giant, like I said, a giant wind up tin robot uh, rampaging mm-hmm. through the streets, um, and uh, Atsuko and Shima decide to to get in contact with Paprika and like summon her to to the real world where they get into an argument and then. Uh, Asuka goes to try and save uh, Takita while uh, Shima and Paprika go to um, try in and stop uh, Inui's giant parade of, of uh, dream things. Um, yeah, and this, one of my favorite scenes is when we get uh, Atsuko, she's making, when she's arguing with Paprika, it's sort of like, hey, you're a part of me. It's like, well, actually, you're a part of me. And it's this reconciliation of the two. Um, and you get the flashback to the the elevator scene where she helps Tokita out. And they just had this like really lovely scene together that uh, is real subtle. And just this expression of like, you see Atsuko 
soften for the first time in the movie with him. He's like, oh, she's just like, oh, you're so much fun. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's just really nice and sweet. And he kind of, and that's where like you get the two of them together. Uh, so she goes to try and <laughs> wake up Tokyo the robot. And he's like, actually, how about I just eat you? <laughs> I was going to say, it's this really nice, sweet scene of them <laughs> kind of like confessing their love. And then Tokyo just eats her. <laughs> in, in the nice scene, she is, she's just like, it's, it's kind of, it's a little weird, but I imagine science weirdos are going to say weird shit. Um, she's like, you swallow everything. It's so much fun. And then like, you know, the, the scorpion does what it's going to do. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. He, he s- swallows her, but then in this very allegorical way of it's missing something, a spice. What about paprika? Yep. So he's off to go eat paprika. Uh <laughs> Which he he does do, mm-hmm. but this kind of um, is what needed to happen uh, for them to to stop uh, Inui, who is is transforming into a gigantic evil version, like even mm-hmm. more evil version of himself. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's him. Like, hey, I can walk. I'm also a giant transparent man. Also, I'm going to infect the entire world with my my dream. It's because it's 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 also him controlling the dream. Yes, and that's part of his deal is like wanting to have total control over this sort of realm. Um, and yeah, it, it's <laughs> the 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 symbolism with <sighs> Atsuko and Paprika both getting swallowed. There's a literal birth from the belly of like Tokita of this child, mm-hmm. uh, a combination of the two who then, and then the climax is, I guess she has Tokita power. Cause she then swallows up. Um, yeah, I guess that's just it. It's just like Tokita. It's a combination yeah. of all three. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of the, that's the thing you needed since Tokita was too, you know, too childlike, too irresponsible to do anything. You needed Atsuko and Paprika together to work. To, yeah, you needed all three to become this child that swallows everything. <laughs> <laughs> but then fixes the world. Uh, yeah. And so as as this sort of amalgamation of all three um, swallow Inui, it causes the, the, the dream world to dissipate um, a bunch of the damage is still there, but we don't see like giant, you know, statues walking around or anything like that anymore. Um, Tokyo is a bit wrecked, but as it always is in these films, it'll be fine in a couple months. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, we see, uh, you know, Chiba sitting at Tokyo's bedside as he recovers, and then uh, Konakawa receiving a a a message from Paprika through the website that uh, Asuka will change her name to her surname to Takeda, and she leaves a little PS to go see the film Dreaming Kids. She really liked it. Uh, where Konakawa goes to the theater, we get to see uh, Cohen's previous three films on the the what is it the on the uh, I get. Not necessarily marquee. Yeah, yeah. I guess, that's kind of the closest thing I can really think. Like the little, like now playing marquees mm-hmm. as you walk up to the ticket booth and then Dreaming Kids is also there, um, which he purchases a ticket for. And that's that's the end of the film. Yeah, um, yeah what a... <laughs> What a wild ride this this movie is. Um, 
I think it, we'll talk about this next time uh, on our last episode for the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dreaming Kids is very is not a real movie, but is very similar in name to Cone's uh, next planned project, Dreaming Machine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, no, uh, Dreaming Kids is not a real movie. I'm sure at, there's probably yeah. some movie called Dreaming Kids. There has yeah. to be. The, the the Dreaming Kids portrayed in in this film is not real. Um, I do think you are correct in saying that it is probably sort of an allusion to Dreaming Machine because we do see characters from Dreaming Machine in Paprika. Mm-hmm. They are, um, when they actually go to the real um, amusement park, the mascot characters, the, the little golden boy and the girl in the red like dress, mm-hmm. they're both like robots, but those are the character designs for Dreaming Machine. Yeah, they're the bits and bobs are are there. Yeah, uh, in secret. Um, there's so overall, this is absolutely hands down his most technically from from an animation standpoint. It's his most impressive film. One of the most impressive films. One of the I think one of the most impressively animated films of like of the last few decades. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it, I think the problem is that for me, at least why it's not like highly ranked amongst my, amongst Cone's movies for me is that it deals in genres that I'm not crazy about. So you have the first part of the movie, which is very much uh, procedural. Mm-hmm. Let's do this thing. We'll get one clue and that'll tell us the next thing to do. Um, on top of just really getting more into like the dream logic of everything. And I guess that being really heavy throughout where like millennium actress and perfect blue, you get it's sparing. Mm -hmm. Like you get it here and there. Um, And I think it, I think just the dream logic of a lot of things of like, well, of course (laughs) the robot version of Takio has to swallow up. Paprika in Atsuko because duh, because of course that's how, and that's how the resolution happens. And that's how they have the power to defeat in a way. And I'm like, uh, I, I guess I, I, and like those two things, like those, those aren't my cup of tea. I gotcha. I yeah. think, but like, and, that, and that's just like my only criticism with them is that it's just not my particular flavor of movie. No, I, I can totally understand that I still I still think that maybe um, especially now after going through like almost all of his work that um, Perfect Blue or Millennium Actress are still probably my favorite of like mm-hmm. his features. Um, but I mean I think Paprika is is more of just a visual feast than than anything. I think that you're that you're right that some of the like the way that like a lot of like the dream logic kind of works can be. Um, Hard to hard to to palette, I guess. Um, it takes it takes a little time to kind of really. I think I think it probably benefits from multiple viewings and trying to like pick apart like these sort of meanings or sort of the logic behind some of the the stuff that happens for sure. Um, I think but, you're right there. Where it is something that uh, as I I'm sure I'll revisit this movie again, mm-hmm. and I think I will get a little more appreciation for it. On, on the next viewing because it, it is there's so much jammed in for sure mm-hmm. that you're going to miss things um 
And, and you know, um, I'm also wondering, like, how much of some of this dream logic, the 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 phrases that are spoken in like their their dream states and stuff like that, how much of that is just purely cultural? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like I mean, obviously everything has a certain like cultural, a certain cultural touchstone to it. But I'm wondering if if Paprika especially benefits from you know having lived a life in Japan and growing up and and living with all of that. I wonder if that is just like a certain hurdle that is not immediately surmountable from watching it like maybe once or twice. That's something that you must be like completely indoctrinated into to kind of get the fullest meaning out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think there there's I'm sure there are some elements of that uh, to it, and maybe because I don't think we've had a. I'm curious if though this one, because uh, at least the disc I have is I think it's Sony Pictures Classic is I think who did this particular release, and it's mm-hmm. not it's not like one of the more recent ones. I want to say this is like 2010. It was a Blu-ray, yeah. 2010 to 2012 is when the the disc was released. Yeah, this was definitely like one of the first ones to really get a a, a wide release over here. I think. I think a lot of his other stuff kind of followed in after or around the same time. Um, but I I do think I think it could be due for uh, maybe a a a re. A, uh, a new subtitle script, perhaps. Um, I didn't listen to the dub, so I don't know if that's something necessary. But I'm curious what a newer release would show, mm-hmm. if maybe there's something a little more that we would be able to pick up. Yeah, that's a that's a good a good question. I would I'd be curious to see if uh, if there's we can get a little something more out of it now that we have a, a kind of a a better understanding that now that the the dubbing and subbing world of anime has moved forward quite a bit um yeah I'd, I'd definitely be interested i think i'd like to see that for a, a lot of uh like especially like films or, or series that probably didn't get the best treatment when they first came out so i believe the copies we have is uh the covers like paprika's face and then you see the parade mm-hmm. sort of as her as her skin tone um that's a 2007 release so yes. pretty old yeah um, this would have been in- released like a year after so yeah, I'm keep, yeah, there on Blu-ray.com, there's an announcement post from two, September 2007. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I would yeah, I'd really like a, a G Kid release. I think I'm curious what that would be about. Mm, yeah, um, but dude, like overall, I I think the adapting this book about dreams, I think it. Like highly successful as far as like trying to put the the feeling and the idea of dream imagery on screen uh, is ex- is extremely successful. I think animation is the perfect fit for this kind of story because it's way easier to blend the two together uh, of dream and reality without quite knowing which one is which. Or if you're trying to do that sort of pulling the wool from pulling the you know rug from under people as to what reality they're in. Animation is like has got it down. They they there's just a great advantage to doing it this way. Yeah, like it's again, animation does something that you can't really do with 
live action. You can certainly try a lot of things, but I don't think it's ever going to have quite the impact as it does in live action than it does in animation. Uh, I've, I've, I've said this many times now, but animation allows you to do like bigger and more bombastic than the real world. And that's kind of what you need for certain types of stories is you need that exaggeration to be able to appropriately describe certain things to be able to show and feel certain things you need animation i uh i think now's the time it's time to talk about christopher nolan (laughs) in in his 2010 film inception (laughs) wait for the kick okay let's okay now we can talk um so recently honestly the past 10 years i think people have there have been articles there have been rumblings through the internet, uh, the idea that there are a lot of things that Christopher Nolan might have taken directly, been inspired by parallel thinking, who mm-hmm. who knows, um, between his movie Inception and Paprika. Uh, and I think we have to pretty much, out of the gate, there, there's never been a quote. Christopher Nolan himself or no one in his like camp has ever come out and said, Yes, we were inspired by Paprika for Inception, or we took certain things from it and put it in our film. But the evidence is pretty damning. Yeah, um, I, I I think probably the like most standout example is um, the the breaking mirror scene, and in, in both films, it is almost like one for one, uh, where in Paprika. There's a moment where we see like the background um, kind of broken, like parts of it are like chipped and cracked and things like that. You can see through a hole into like a different part of a dream that when Paprika goes and touches it, it shatters and like just the whole thing comes shattering down. And there's a scene in in Inception where uh, Elliot Page's Ariadne... um, they they swing a mirror into place to create like an endless corridor and then they touch it and it breaks and does almost the exact same thing, uh, allowing them to move into a different part of a dream. It's yeah, that that's so stupidly close. Um, I know another one people reference is the hallway scenes mm-hmm. uh, where you see uh, Konakawa chasing the, the mystery man through the hall and then things kind of getting goofy. Um, they're they're different enough. Uh, where in Paprika, the hallway just turns into like goop. Uh, in in Inception, it's more that gravity is going wonky, so they can go on the walls. I mean, that's more like honestly, that's probably more like classic Hollywood of like that's like Fred Astaire shit. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's I mean you. Both movies talk about the use of technology in order to enter people's dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Inception also talks about it as far as like a, a used being created for therapy purposes. Yeah, I want to say there's like a, a line in there about how it was originally created for like PTSD treatment mm-hmm. and then it became addictive and... Also, you're able to do all this Inception yeah. stuff with it. You can do you can do dream crimes. Yeah, um, I do think the the two opening scenes are 
similar, where in Inception, it's right out of the gate, you have a dream within a dream, Mm -hmm. um, with a large portion of it taking place on a train, um, where Paprika, you're sort of learning the ropes of like, we're bouncing from dream to dream. Uh, One section also takes place on a train, but again, I think that's just spy thriller sort of motif. Everyone loves a good train scene in those movies. (laughs) If you've watched any of any James Bond film, Mm-hmm. You'll end up on a train and there will be like some pe- some guy with a garrote trying to get you in your, your mm-hmm. sleeping car. I don't think oh. that's. Yeah. The briefcase MacGuffin? Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Yeah. There's. Um, so like one, it, we're, there, this is based on a novel from 1993. Um, I think Christopher Nolan, I think there's records of him pitching the idea of Dream Thieves in 2002. He he, he said it was a story that he had been working on for a while. Yeah. Um, and trying to realize. And like, I don't, he, I, he had to have seen it, I think. Yeah, Someone I, showed it to him. Because I mean, lucid dreaming has been a thing for a while now. And in watching like the special features for Paprika, there's an entire component of it where Kone and Tsutsui are talking about like dreams and, and Tsutsui talks about like lucid dreams and how you're able to like control them and things like that. So I'm I'm kind of, you know, in more in the camp that I'm sure like Nolan has probably seen Paprika. I'm sure he probably took like little bits and pieces, but I don't think like the whole concept is like a a, a ripoff of Paprika by any means. Um, I mean, if you really want to get into it, uh, Inception is basically Neuromancer, the William Gibson novel, but in dreams <laughs> instead of in cyberspace. Yep, because it's it's a high like it's like let's do a heist movie. Yes, but it's it's them their dreams. Yeah, um, and it's and like at, look, I I really like Inception. It might be, yeah, it's probably one of my famous favorite Nolan movies. Um, but like, it's super dry, and like for a movie about dreams, it's real boring. <laughs> yeah, and, and like like visually and in some parts, and I know that was, and again because it's live action. And instead of trying to go gaga, he he cho- he kind of like picked and chose like the dreamy parts. But it's it's essentially just a heist movie that takes place in like three different locations, <laughs> in three different yeah. real world locations. Yeah. Um, there there is not a lot in obsession. It's in, in obsession, Inception <laughs> that is especially fantastically dreamlike. It is little bits and pieces here and there that are like. Ooh, isn't that neat? But mm-hmm. I'm with I'm I, so I'm with you in that camp where it's just like he definitely saw the movie. It was shown to him. Someone referenced it. Mm-hmm. There, someone had you're you can't tell me that amongst all those nerds making that movie, someone wasn't a cone head. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, I you know and and you know I. Chris Nolan doesn't exactly come off as the kind of person that's going to admit to taking inspiration from like anybody really, but it's um, yeah, no, he, it does seem that way. Um, I think especially in, in anim from an animated film. Yeah. Which is a shame. Like I just look, here's our, here's what we're going to use. 
the money you gave us for. We're going to fly to Hollywood. We're going <laughs> to chase Christopher Nolan down and say, you admit it. You admit you saw this movie. We'll set up our own heist. <laughs> We're going to incept Christopher Nolan. He's going to admit it. And then we're also going to plan the idea to turn down the fucking volume on his films. <laughs> I'd like to hear dialogue, please. Um, but I think that anything else on Paprika, I think we've we've we've, we've been so deep I in the stream for a while. Go I have a it. question for you real quick. Do you know what Paprika is? It isn't it a ground pepper, like a ground roasted pepper? It is just straight up dried and ground red peppers, like red bell peppers. <laughs> it's, I've put it on stuff before. I don't know what it does. <laughs> uh, I think it's good on a hummus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tasty. You can get smoked, you can get sweet. Depends mm-hmm. on the kind of peppers you get. But yes, I did not realize that for a very long time, that paprika is just ground and dried red peppers, like red bell peppers. Um, that's just kind of wild to me. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like a name that was definitely chosen for the way it sounds. Yes. Um, also, oh, I, I, I'd have to go dig in to find it, but I believe uh, pepper, paprika, and capsicum. Capsicum is another word for like a, a chili pepper. Mm-hmm. Um Depending on what language you're you're talking, those three words will swap meanings between each other. <laughs> mm. So, like, I think in German you would call like a, a a bell pepper a paprika. It's it's yeah, it's real it's real wild. Um, but yes, that's uh that's the only thing I really had <laughs> is just I was amazed that paprika is just is not some actual like spice. It is just mm-hmm. you crowned up a thing. <laughs> So that was our our coverage of Paprika. Um, We thank you very much for coming and listening to us. Um, If you'd like to get in contact with us, let us know what you think of the show. Uh, Have any questions, anything like that, you can uh, email us at uh, thinkingtohardpod at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter. We're at thinkinganime. if you would like to get in contact with me directly, hi, I'm Noah. Uh, you can, uh, I, I guess, Twitter to, to date this episode. <laughs> if Twitter's still around, uh, mm-hmm. you can get in touch with me at, at Common Otaku. That's K A M E N O T A K U. I did set up a co host, but I've only logged into it once. So who knows? I'm on Tumblr. If you want my Tumblr, you can contact me. <laughs> Is Tumblr um, back, baby? Uh, Tumblr never left. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all left Tumblr. Tumblr didn't leave you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you can pay like $8 to get um little... Actually, no, I don't think that... You can pay $8 to get two blue check marks. Ooh. <laughs> on Tumblr. Tumblr or Twitter? Tumblr. And also, you can pay $8 to get two blue check marks, and then you can pay $8 more to get two more check marks. <laughs> Are there people on Tumblr with, like, a cacophony of, of check marks? Uh, I've seen somebody that has, like, 24 blue check marks. Hell yeah. That is... <laughs> Let me do the math. That is $96 well spent. Uh, they also did a thing uh, for, like, uh, April Fool's where uh, little, like, 
animated crabs would appear on your screen. Uh, and now you can pay money to have that happen all the time. You can give them to people. It's it's wild. Uh, <laughs> Tumblr is just, they have gone full in on, we want to make this website last. Give us money for like stupid shit so we don't have to add advertisers. Uh, and that's why you can blaze posts, which means you pay $10 or more to force your post to become an ad that other people see. <laughs> this, it seems like it's the fortnight of social media. Where yes, you, it's chaos. It's absolute chaos. It's wonderful. Don't come here. Um, <laughs> Aaron, where can people find you? Um, so I used to talk about my own personal Twitter handle. I haven't checked that in months. My friend, don't worry about it anymore. <laughs> it's it's all going to go, that whole, it's all going to go away. Uh, maybe, hopefully. Uh, but if you want to hear my voice some more, you can go on over to Kame House Party, the only improv comedy Dragon Ball podcast in the known universe. Uh, myself, my co-host, Vince White. Uh, we are going through every episode of Dragon Ball. Uh, we do improvised bits based on what we watched. It's a good time. Uh, you can also see us over on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Kame House Party. Uh, we're usually streaming every Thursday night uh, where we play a variety of games and have a variety of fun. Uh, I also want to thank everyone that supported us uh, last month uh, through our charity efforts. We had one charity stream uh, to support the uh, Lymphoma uh, Society uh, to celebrate the end of Vince's treatment. Uh, and we also raised, were able to raise money for uh, Extra Life. Uh, for Children's Miracle Network. So thank you to anyone who watched or donated. Uh, we really appreciated it. Yeah, that was great. We will never play Resident Evil 4 again. Oh, no. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe. We'll, You're we'll so close to the end. You're I the- know we are, but we... It was just... If it wasn't 12 hours of gaming, I think we would have done it. I think we were yeah. just... Like, this game is... It was like, we hate this. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 is a very good game. I do not recommend playing it all at once. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so go go check those out. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and review us on whatever podcast listening platform of choice you have. Uh, it greatly helps us go up in the ratings so people can find us and listen to us. Uh, and, you know, if you would like to donate money to this show, you're more than welcome to through uh, Anchor. So you go to our uh, Anchor page, anchor.fm slash T-T-H-A-A. Ta-tha! Ta-tha. You can go to the listener support page and donate monthly, either $4.99, or was it $1.99, $4.99, or $9.99. And, you know, that money will go to us. It'll help us pay for anime and, and stuff. Um, we'd greatly appreciate it. You can do a one-time donation, like donate once for a month and then cancel it. Completely fine. Um, so if you're inclined to do so, please do. Um, and then next month, we will see you back here for the final episode of Satoshi Kone Heads. Where we'll be talking about uh, Kone's final short, Good Morning, and his uh, uncompleted works. Uh, and I'm sure it won't be incredibly sad at all. Yeah, no one will cry in any way, shape, or form. Oh, oh, I'm going to cry watching Good Morning. <laughs> that that short gets me every time. It's only like a minute long. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But until then, I have been your co-host, Noah Carden. Uh, I've been Aaron J. Shelton. And we've been thinking too hard.